What's up, everybody? Welcome to Ask for Candy, where we talk about healing, self-care, love, sex, relationships, and what it takes to be amazing on the daily. Who I am, I am CandiceHarperLoveCoach.com, and my purpose with this podcast is to create healthy, romantic relationships all around the world, especially now that there is a worldwide health crisis and people are in need of love and connection now more than ever. But before we get to that, shout out to Armed Radio and all the peeps around the world who are listening in. Don't forget to subscribe to Ask for Candy on Anchor. You can find us on Spotify, on iHeart, on iTunes, everywhere that you could possibly get a podcast. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube, Ask for Candy YouTube channels, Ask for Candy the podcast or Ask for Candy podcast. And when you subscribe, even if you're busy on a Thursday night and you can't listen in, you'll, you'll never miss a show because you can either pay attention on YouTube and listen in on YouTube or you know, any of our replay channels like Spotify, iHeart, all those good things. So many possibilities. There's no reason to miss a show. Also, we're on Patreon. So if you want to become a patron of the show, just click the link in our post description I post on social media. Those of you who are listening through Armed Radio, I will post on the Armed Radio page. Click the link, become a patron, and you'll get access to early content. Sometimes I've released the pre-record. You never know. First dibs on any of our perks, our offers, giveaways, and 30% off any private coaching package should you be interested in uh, rocking your love life, which is what I do as a relationship coach. You can also email me, askforcandypodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, any kind of interaction that you want to do around the topic, if you want to ask me about coaching, if you want to ask me about what I'm talking about, if you have a suggestion for a possible host you might want me to interview, or a guest, I should say, that you might want me to interview, definitely send me an email and let me know your thoughts because I like to know what you're thinking. I like to know how this stuff is landing on you. I like to know what you're doing about your romantic love life in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, you know, what is going on? Have people stopped having casual sex? I had to sip my tea for that question. I wonder about that. I have to, you know, full disclosure, I stopped having casual sex years ago. I mean, not that many years ago, but at least a decade ago or, you know, a little under a decade ago. And um, yeah, not for any moral reasons or anything like that. I just got to a different stage in my life and it just wasn't so interesting. But I really am curious about people who are out there dating and, you know, fully active and young and not, you know, having met the person that they want to be with long term or maybe you have and you're cheating. (laughs) I wonder what's going on with this pandemic and casual sex and if people are being much more protective of themselves, hopefully, because even before all of this, we were, you know, preaching protection and safety and all of that stuff. And now it's obviously something that goes far beyond just what you can get sexually and all of that stuff. Anyway, that is not what I am here to talk about. For those of you who normally listen in, you know that I am a relationship coach, a workshop facilitator, and a professional matchmaker with Talkify. And if you've never heard of it, it's an amazing digital service where you can hire a matchmaker to do all the sifting and vetting on your behalf. So all that like icky hard stuff in the beginning, all that like swiping on Tinder or Match or Bumble or wherever you're doing that, not to knock those things, they're great. But if you want to eliminate that step of, you know, trying to get to know if someone is going to be at least friend worthy, at least someone you'd want to sit down and have a conversation with, a matchmaker 
can do that for you. Like just get rid of that, all that early vetting stuff that nobody likes so that all you really have to do is just be active and interested in having dates, going on dates and talking to people that you actually do have something in common with that someone with some expertise chose for you. And, you know, a lot of people have uh, preconceived notions about what matchmaking is. Matchmaking itself is an ancient practice, probably as old as we human beings are, and definitely as old as currency exchange, because there was a time when, you know, and even in some cultures still, marriage is a business transaction. It's like a merging of lands or countries or an exchanging for goods and services. And it, it requires some level of brokerage when it's a business transaction, right? Someone to organize the deal and, you know, help families make the most beneficial choices in many cultures. So when you think about it now in our modern world that we live in, it's historically been a type of agency. And so that's what it basically is in our modern world in a, in a modern way. Just like an a agent would negotiate for an actor or a real estate agent would broker a deal. Cut to today, most people who hire a matchmaker are looking to find love. They, for the most part, have the means to take care of themselves financially. So it's not about a business tra transaction in that way. And they ideally want someone who can supplement and complement whatever they're doing, right? Above all, people are out there wanting to experience deep romantic love and connection. And matchmaking and relationship coaching, that is my zone of genius. And the best part is that week to week, I get to grow and learn as I interact with people all around and all around the most intimate parts of their lives to help them, you know, to help broker that deal. I get to meet and new, nurture new clients. I get to screen possible dating candidates for them. I get to design programs and activities that deepen their ability to get to know each other. Last week, I talked a lot about this new wave of digital dating, this new, um, new sort of, oh, you know what? I don't know how, how new it really is. I think it's becoming more widespread because of the the current situation, but you know, I think we're trying to take it to another level, this digital dating, and I'm trying to get really imaginative. And if you guys think of anything, feel free to email me, askforcandypodcast at gmail.com. I'm trying to get really imaginative around what people can do on these digital dates. So, you know, I, I was talking earlier on a Facebook Live about how I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So I've jumped into the pool of digital dating and am looking for ways to make it be interactive as possible. I mean, clearly you're not face to face. So there's not that sort of physical interaction that, you know, naturally can happen. Um, even when you don't know someone that well, like whether it's the holding of hands or, you know, uh, just being around each other's energy, you can sense things about a person, their smell, all of that really great stuff that we love. But, you know, what's an alternative to that? What's a way to sort of have intimate interna interaction, get to know people? You know, maybe it's playing psychological games or, and I don't mean manipulative. <laughs> I don't mean get out there and start manipulating each other. That's not what I'm talking about. But like, I, I used to have a board game. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a psychology game where, you know, it was questions and you'd move around the board and there were, you know, uh, there was money, money would exchange hands, fake money. And it was about, it was kind of like a truth or dare kind of thing where you'd ask a question and that person would choose whether they want to answer it or they want to accept another challenge. But the questions were very curated to, um, to give psychological indicators and I guess even red flags for that matter. 
So, you know, things like that. Or, you know, is there a way to play cards or different different kinds of games where you can play them digitally? I'm sure that there are. I'm sure there's some genius creative people out there who are coming up with some different fun activities and fun games that people can do as an interaction and as a as a way to make digital dating fun. So, you know, yeah, that's what I was talking about last week. I want to continue that conversation because I do want to get people on board with that. I was talking to um, my friend Zaria, who's also, I always call her my daughter, because if I would have had a daughter, she would be it. Like her personality is very, very much like what I would imagine my child would be like. And I feel a, a certain kindred with her. And, you know, we're of that age where I'm, I'm probably the same age as her her mother, God rest her soul, who passed away. But she and I talk. She's so advanced. She just turned 23 the other day. And, um, you know, she's just an advanced human being. Like, she's just so on her game. She's so on the money about things. And she made a really good point about um, the future of human interaction, virtual reality. Um, I don't know if we talked about it or not, but as she was talking, the, the thought of holograms came into my head. And for some people, and myself included, that stuff can sound weird and scary. But I think that we're in a new time and a new age. And I think this virus is thrusting us into it even further and faster than we might have imagined. Which, you know, everything is what we make it to be, what we believe it to be. I feel like if we fear it and, you know, we, we put a negative slant on this idea of things becoming more technically advanced, then it's going to be something that that has a negative backlash. But if collectively it's something that we embrace without, uh, you know, releasing or letting go the idea of being face to face, I don't believe that that's dead. <laughs> I don't believe that we're, you know, no longer going to be interacting in a physical way. I still think that that's going to be important for a very long time, hopefully throughout my lifetime, because I don't really want to be on this earth at a time when people are not at all um, inclined to physically interact and there's not some sort of disease going around. Like this social distancing thing, I'm fine with it for what we need to do to have this virus clear up. I'm okay with it. But ultimately, I'm going to want to hug somebody. So whether that means that, you know, Everybody gets tested before they go out on a date to see each other face to face again or whatever that means. I'm on board with, you know, whatever that needs to be uh, going down the line or, you know, we don't know. It's so uncertain as to the timing of all of this. And I don't mean to speak gloom and doom, but there's uncertainty to it. Right. So, you know, my thinking is this. Get with the times. Get with the technology. Be open to what the technology is going to bring and what's going to be possible with that while also not letting go of the basic human need for physical touch and affection and knowing that we will get to a point again where that is the norm and it is possible. For those of you who are not single and, you know, if you're married and your marriage still has love and affection in it and if you have kids and stuff like that, obviously that might not be such an eminent concern for you. But for those of us who are single, you know, who, I mean, I'm someone who, I, I'm, I'm not the most physically affectionate person with everyone. Um, it takes a little bit. It takes me knowing someone a little bit to be very physically affectionate. But once I am, I really am. So, you know, imagining a world where no one is ever physically affectionate is not, does not sound ideal to me at all. However, that said, 
I do believe in this new wave of technology. And I do believe that virtual dating, virtual interaction is um, going to have its emergence in a, in a much bigger, obviously in a much bigger way with what's going on, but also that there's going to be some creativity around it that causes real emotional connection between people. I mean, already we can look at each other face to face and, um, you know, get to hear vocal inflection and while looking at someone's face, you know, and I know we've been able to do that for a while now, but, you know, I think the overarching thought is that that's still a lesser form of communication. And maybe it's not. Maybe in the long run, it's going to be just as valuable as um, the physical touch, because why can't we have all of it, right? We invented all of it. We, you know... I don't know. Why can't we do it all? Why can't it all be important? Why can't it all be relevant? I don't know. I feel like that's a good discussion topic. And next time if I have a, a, you know, when I have another guest on or something like that, like what are some of the pros and cons of embracing both digital and face-to-face interaction? I don't know. Maybe this is all too existential to even be worrying about when we don't know, you know, over the next few weeks, things could clear up over the next couple of months, whatever. We don't know. Um, what I really don't want to happen is for us to go back to business as usual. And I, for some people that might really piss you off to consider that we wouldn't, and that might be all you want right now is to go back as to business as usual. And I'd be curious to find out, I feel like I'm going to do a poll on social media because I would really be curious to find out who out there is like, can't wait to get back to business as usual. Who is feeling like that? I personally, no interest. That doesn't mean that I want to stop doing a lot of the things that are important to me. Um, and for the most part, you know, my last years, probably for the last seven or eight years since I started my coaching business, um, you know, I, I won't say they were ideal. They definitely weren't ideal financially, but for the most part, my days were, were very, I, was, I have a lot of autonomy over my days. So I've been out of that hustle culture. I've been out of that working really hard to maintain my lifestyle kind of, kind of, um, culture in, in a lot of ways. Like I've worked, I'm working really hard to maintain my business and have my business work, but it's not, it doesn't feel like work cause I love doing it. It's very different than when I was working to maintain a lifestyle in a job that I liked, but I, I didn't have that much connection to, and that's not to put anything down, but, um, you know, I don't know for those of you out there. And I can think of really good friends of mine, friends of mine who all they ever did was complain about work. All they ever did was complain about, you know, trying to stay on that hamster wheel and keep it going and maintaining a lifestyle. And if you're listening, you know exactly who you are. I wonder, and I'll probably have to ask you directly as well, are you wanting to go back to business as usual? How are you feeling about that? I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, this could be the worst thing to happen to the world. But in a lot of ways, a lot more ways, this could be the best thing to happen in the world. And it's all in how we frame it. And again, that's not that I'm negating the death and the suffering. I'm really, truly not. I take it very seriously. I have parents who are in assisted living. You know, I don't deny that any of that is tragic and painful and difficult and, you know, that uh, healthcare workers are, are heroes and, you know, I, I deny none of that. However, I think that with every negative action, there is an equal and opposite positive reaction. There's balance to life and it's all in how the collective chooses to frame what is possible. 
And I do believe that a world shift needed to happen. Oh my gosh. Like we, we walk around complaining about the state of the world all the time. You know, and we, we're always looking for that thing, but we think that that thing should be some magical miracle where everybody's life gets wonderful and no one has to ever pay the price for anything and there should be no consequences that, you know, all of our problems should just be taken away. It's like we have this idea that somehow walking around on this earth being shit people, treating the earth like shit and, and living the way we normally live, keeping up with the Joneses and worrying about the most petty of things... We think that somehow magically we deserve or that, you know, there's going to be some miracle where life just all of a sudden gets better and everybody has money and everybody's happy. And, you know, we we fail to recognize that, uh, you know, to have a shift in the world, that there's got to be some loss. There's got to be loss and change. And it's our willingness to sort of surrender to it and lean into it and be with that change and see what's possible on the other end of it, just in, like in our personal lives as a collective, it's really important that we're willing to do that in times like this. And granted, I have not been on this earth long enough, and I don't know you know, how many of us have, to remember a time that was like this. Because obviously, as, as time goes by, everything that happens, there's a lot of firsts. And I know that there was the Black Plague, and there was you know, diseases that killed lots of people over the decades of history. But, you know, there's never been an age and a time like this where there was the internet and there was so much death and devastation and there was so much change and it was so global and and people knew about it because of the internet. Like that has never existed before. Um, so I don't speak from a place of knowing, having experienced it or anything like that. But my heart and my faith knows that um, that a shift is a good thing. A shift is always a good thing. And, and we have to be with what loss comes from a shift, even in our personal lives. There's always something you got to give up. If you want to have a new life, you got to give up your old life. I don't believe that death is the worst possible thing that can happen to people. I don't want people to grieve or you know lose people, especially... Uh, prematurely, people who haven't even lived a full life, I don't think that that's, I don't wish that on anyone. But I also believe in the transitions that we make and that death doesn't really exist. And, you know, someone else might believe differently and that's fine. But believing that death doesn't really exist and making a transition is just another stage in our existence and that we're just running around in these human suits, for me, works. And it makes it feel, for me, that in everything there is opportunity and that there is always hope. So I just went on a huge tangent that I had no intention of going on <laughs> whatsoever, but it needed to be said and I probably will say it some more and, and talk about it more. The only reason that I'm cutting myself off is because it's really important this week to talk about relationship readiness. So, you know, in my matchmaking, I get to meet a lot of clients and I get to um, delve into people's personal love lives. I get to really um, know their secrets and know their fears and, you know, the things that are challenging them, the things that are holding them back. And I find that to be a privilege. I think I mentioned this last week. I'm honored by it. I find it to be a privilege. I, you know, I don't take it lightly. 
I definitely don't, um, you know, identify, share anybody's information or, you know, I treat it with honor. I don't gossip or anything like that. But, um, you know, one thing that I, I really notice is that, and it's true with my coaching clients as well. Usually when my coaching clients come to me, they already know that there are issues with what's happening in their love life. So whether it's that they have a broken heart or, um, you know, things have just fallen apart. They don't know what to do. They haven't dated for a long time. They're trying to get it together. They, you know, it could be a myriad of things. Maybe some trauma has come up and they're dealing with it in therapy. They're ready to move on. They're ready to make some big changes, whatever it might be. With coaching, it's easy to identify. It's easy to, you know, like I don't have to question whether they're ready for a relationship or not, because if they were already ready, they wouldn't need, need, you know, my curriculum. They wouldn't need what I do. And so, um, it's different with the matchmaking because with the matchmaking, most of the people that come into it, they're investing and they're coming with the assumption that they are ready. And a lot of times they feel like, you know, I already know that I'm ready and the relationship is going to be the thing. It's going to be what fixes whatever's going on with me right now. So I wrote a little article about it, a little newsletter, weekly newsletter. I'm going to give you a little bit of that right now. And then I'm going to tell you the 10 signs that I look for just to have an understanding of client readiness and even uh, um, coaching client readiness, but matchmaking client readiness, definitely. So today I wanted to start this conversation about relationship readiness. What does it mean to actually be ready for a partnership? Is it a matter of simply following our desire? Are there metrics that can be taken? A lot of times we think just because we want it that we must be ready for it and we can want it. I know a woman who's in her well into her 80s. She's beautiful. She's beautiful um, physically as a person and you know, kind-hearted and compassionate. And she's believed for decades, literally decades, that she's ready for a relationship, the relationship that has never come, because it, she thinks that her readiness is a matter of her desire for it. So, you know, I would say no, desire is not indication that you're ready for a relationship. So often we also associate our readiness with the amount of time that we've been alone. Um, and like I said, the desire for closeness or maybe how long our family members have been nagging us. Like we think, oh, time must be up on this because there's enough people around me who are judging me about it who are making me wrong about it. So, you know, I, this must be it. Like I need to stop doing whatever I've been doing and I, I gotta, I'm ready. I need to go ahead and get into a relationship. I don't know how many of you out there who are single have done that to yourselves. How often though, do we reach deep down, deep down into our soul and ask ourselves, am I already in a great relationship with myself? Dun, dun, dun. Am I already in a great relationship with myself? Do I love my own company? Am I all of the things that I am seeking in a mate? So why ask those questions of myself? Well, I mean, those of you who followed along for a while and have been listening for a while, you know that one of my biggest sort of, you know, I don't know, concepts of my teaching is the importance of being in relationship with the self, 
knowing thyself, which is biblical, understanding thyself, being able to be a stand for thyself, not compromising thyself. And this comes from a person who had some time of compromising myself. Now, you can find a relationship in the midst of compromising yourself. You can find a relationship in the midst of not loving yourself or knowing yourself. And as a matter of fact, because there are so many breakups and divorces and all of that, I hazard a guess that a lot of times that's usually what the culprit is, that deep down, I don't believe that I'm enough and I either have to fix you to validate my own enoughness or I have to use you to prove that I am enough or I gauge my enoughness and my value off of you. And none of that is sustainable for a long-term relationship. So if I'm willing to ask myself the question, am I already in a great relationship with myself? If I can say yes, like a resounding yes, that's a good sign that I'm actually ready to be in a relationship with somebody else. Because it's not gonna come from a place of need and attachment. It just, I'm ready to be in a relationship with someone else. I'm so full, I'm ready to overflow. Do I love my own company? So when I can't stand my own company, it's because I'm attached to what somebody else can come in and do for me. I'm attached to the outside world and the external doing something for me that's going to make me feel like I'm enough. Or, you know, if I'm, if I'm by myself and I can't stand to be by myself without, you know, maybe constantly being on social media or being on the phone and gossiping, talking to people, interaction constantly, or stimulation, outside stimulation, find myself <clears throat> with my mind racing when it comes to being by myself and I don't know how to love my, excuse me, don't know how to love my own company. The question is, you know, am I really ready for a relationship? Because if I can't stand my own company, Trust me, no matter how good looking you are out there, at some point, whoever you're with is not going to be able to stand your company either. And you're probably not going to be able to stand theirs either, because when we have a low tolerance for ourselves, we also have a low tolerance for others. And then that last question, am I all of the things that I am seeking in a mate? So one of the things that I do in my coaching program is that I actually have people uh, make their list, you know, the man list. And I've talked about this many times. My man list. I want him to be 6'5 and make six figures and, you know, I don't know, and have nine inches of penis. Like we have our man list of all these things that we think these external things that we think if he comes with these things, if he's college educated, if he's, you know, I don't know, well-established financially, then those are going to be the things that are going to sustain a relationship. Now, in my coaching program, what I normally do um, is have my clients write a list based on their core values. And so, and it takes work to get to this point because when you've been walking around, um, you know, thinking that it's the external things that are going to be, you know, if he checks all the external boxes, I can work with the rest. So he can be kind of douchey, but if he comes with all the external stuff that looks good on the outside, then I can work with the rest, which a lot of us do that, even though we won't admit it. And men do that too. So she's hot and she's sexy and I want to have sex with her. Take a look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I'm sorry, but you know, I don't know if you guys, I don't usually listen to celebrity gossip. I hate to even admit that I paid attention to this, but I do like YouTube. 
Sometimes you can go in a YouTube rabbit hole. But if you've ever listened to the videos that came out, or the audios, I should say, that came out with um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and how she initially was accusing him of being an abuser, and then you hear these audio tapes where she is just raking him over the coals. Like you just, I mean, he just sounds like such a broken man just in a conversation with her, like just trying to hold it together. You know, to me, that's the perfect example. I don't want to make assumptions about, you know, what his motivation was, but come on, she's like 25 years your junior and she's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful girl. And then, you know, a few years later, you're surprised when her emotional intelligence and her emotional maturity is just leagues below yours. So just as men, as women do it, men do it, where we think, okay, all this external stuff is in place. It's this person is checking all those boxes. I can make the rest of it work. Doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And that's not to say that you shouldn't want to be physically attracted to someone. That's not to say that you can't have preferences as far as, you know, whether they're educated or not. There's nothing wrong with all of that stuff. But that is the the minutia, believe it or not, that is the um, unimportant stuff when it comes to your preferences. You know, what What I really encourage my clients to um, focus on is the core values. Like what at my deep, deepest core as a human being is most important to me? For some people, a lot of times it's family. So I want somebody who can be with my family fit into my family because my family is really important to me. Like that's, that's somebody's core value. So kindness and compassion. I believe in being kind to people. I believe in, in being compassionate and, you know, taking the time to understand people and taking the time, you know, to explain myself so that other people can understand me. Like that kind of connection can be a core value. And a lot of people who have that as a core value tend to go into charitable work or whatever. I'm not saying everybody has to be an angel, but if you're not matching um, who you want, your list, with who you are, you're not creating sustainability in your love life. So we're not talking about right or wrong. We're talking about sustainable or not sustainable. So... um, yeah, I think I don't know how I went down that that tangent. But you know, this is why I look for certain things, certain signs of readiness because the readiness also has us in a place where we're willing to express and we're in touch with what the core values are. And even as a matchmaker, when I'm matching people, you know, we have what's in the software, what's on paper, what we look at, and that's an initial step. So if they have, you know, those external requirements are are matching, then that gives me the go ahead to talk to them and and find out deeper who they are. And there's times when I do a deep dive and find that, you know, maybe on paper they look compatible, but in real life, there's no way they're going to have compatibility. Just today, I screened a really great guy and, you know, he has a spiritual framework that is not, you know, I wouldn't call him someone who's radical. He's not like hardcore Bible thumper or anything like that. But he said, I'm Christian and I just started going to church again. And I'm, you know, I want to be involved in my church and I want to be with somebody who is also going to want to be involved. I don't want to be with someone who doesn't believe in God, Um, you know, but they don't have to be super devout or anything like that. But I would, I, I feel like, you know, I would want somebody that we can share that. So absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the client that I was potentially going to match him with, she's a, a Jewish agnostic. So that, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
And it's, it's just not going to work. They're not going to be compatible. Even though they check a lot of each other's other boxes, that core value, knowing who I am kind of stuff has to be in place for it to be a sustainable situation. I know a date is just a date. And, you know, the, the promise of matchmaking is I get you on a date. I get you on a date with somebody you're compatible with and you guys take it from there. But I really, um, you know, to be in integrity with it, I really have to think in terms of like, what is going to be a sustainable long-term match? What is actually going to um, create a loving relationship? So back to the relationship readiness and, you know, what signs that I look for in uh, a client, whether it be a coaching client or a matchmaking client, if they say they want a relationship, there are certain signs. And I, and I came up with 10 of them. But, I, you know, I believe there are more. Some of them are a little more subjective. And I guess the thing to do is think in terms of these, these signs. And it's an opportunity for self-reflection. You know, do I have these things? I don't think anybody has all 10 of these. Um, but, you know, you want to at least have a hefty five or six of them to be able to say, yeah, I really, I want to invite somebody in my life. Here's the thing. You don't have to do it at all. But if, you, if you're attached to having a relationship and you feel like a relationship's going to make your life better, you feel like you're going to be happier because you have a relationship, the danger in that is that you are attached to something external of you, fulfilling you in a way that only you can. So nobody's going to die. But if what you really want is a sustainable long-term relationship, you do want to be able to have a little self-reflection around your readiness and where you're at and you know what you're feeling about these sorts of things. So number one of the 10, number one, that I look for, number one sign that I I love to see in clients, matchmaking clients, because it makes my job so much easier, is a flexible feminine energy. And what do I mean by that? Like just a willingness, a willingness to trust the process, even when it's scary. And it's almost always scary because you are putting your dating life, your love life, your romantic life in the hands of someone who has just basically screened you to find out who you are, yes, sat down with you and asked you some deep questions, but knew nothing of you before that. So it's a big um, leap to take, it's a big step to take, and just the willingness to take that step and to make that big jump is a sign of, of either desperation <laughs> or readiness. <laughs> And I don't mean, when I say desperation, I don't even mean that in a judgmental way. I think people get to their wits end when it comes to the dating thing. And it's understandable. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I can tell a client is actually really ready when they're willing to just be flexible, flow like water, flow with the situation. They're ready to be on somebody else's ride. And by being on somebody else's ride, what I mean is, um, and I've talked about this in videos and stuff before, very often, even in friendships, I feel like people are so tight with their trust and their sense of control of situations and relationships. And I have a lot of people like this in my life. So I can't help but think that I must be giving that off as well, that I give that energy off as well in some way. But, you know, I can cite the number of people in my life where they always want me to be on their ride. So, you know, they want to want me to join them for their plans they want to set up the structure and have me come along. And I'm someone who's willing to do that. I mean, you know, if I love you, I'm totally willing to go on your ride. Um, especially some of them, they like to pay. So I'm like, hey, if you want to choose everything and decide what we're doing <laughs> and 
pay for it too. Okay. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't mind paying for people, but it's like, you know, I feel like, like a lot of us, you've got to feel like you have some say in it to, to want to kick in and contribute in that way. But, you know, I say all of that to say one thing about dating for both men and women, it's this willingness to be up for somebody else's, uh, way of doing things, somebody else's idea for what can, you know, what can be fun, um, you know, breaking out of what is your comfort zone for what you might normally do. Just, you know, being willing to flex your schedule a little bit. I have a friend who, you know, he just, he's so rough when it comes to his schedule. And granted, he does work a lot. He works a lot of hours and things like that, but he's been talking for years about how he wants to be in a relationship, but he's so, he uses his schedule almost against people. Like he wants people to know how important he is. So if he hasn't decided to make the time, he's never available. You can't get him to do anything spontaneous. Um, you know, and this is not to say anything bad about him. He's a wonderful, generous, generous, wonderful, sweet person, but it's always got to be on his time. It's always got to be his plan. It's always got to be his availability. And he's, you know, I, I don't know him to be someone who has ever changed his schedule on behalf of anybody else. And so I think that that is a big thing. The reason I'm spending so much time on it is because I, you know, it's something that that I think it's worth considering. It doesn't mean that you just give up your life for somebody and just do whatever they want to do all the time. But if you really want to be in a partnership, you got to you got to know that the willingness to flex with your schedule and be open and be powerful about moving things around to make room for that person or make room for just your dating life itself is a sign of your readiness that you really want to be in a relationship even when it feels weird and scary. You know, just getting on somebody else's page, there's nothing wrong with that. Number two, like what we talked about earlier, the loving of your own company. People, you know, if they genuinely love their own company, they're, they're ready for a relationship. If they're, it's because they're not attached to somebody else making them feel um, not bored or interesting or, you know, entertaining them. Like if I love my own company, I can, I can overflow onto somebody else and I can enjoy myself whether you're there or not, which is a great you know, when we, if you've ever been around somebody who just brings the fun, who just generates the happiness, who is just there to have a good time, if you've ever experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like you can't get enough of that person. It's, you know, it's why we go and see performers in concert and stuff like that. It's like when someone comes and they're bringing, you know, I'm going to have a good time no matter what. Oh, you're not going to have a good time? Well, I'm having a good time no matter what. That It's just so irresistible that someone's uh, positivity is unstoppable in that way. So I like to call it unattached and able to attract. I love my own company. I love being with myself. I'm so healthfully in love with myself that I'm willing to just flow with how the tides of compatibility are going to go. And they are like tides. You're going to meet people you're not so compatible with and that's okay. And rather than get annoyed and, you know, be a bitch on the date or treat them badly or go low energy, which, you know, a lot of times men will do that. Rather than do that, just keep generating what you want to experience and go with that flow. And that's a great sign that you're ready for a relationship. doesn't mean you're going to lead that person on or anything like that. If you do, if that, if you generating the fun and still having a good time leads somebody to believe that you want to have a relationship with them, they are responsible for what they choose to believe if you're being honest, right? So, and that's a whole nother conversation, but loving your own company and being attached and able to attract. <clears throat> Number three 
the past has been healed or it's in a healing process. So <clears throat> to clear my throat, whether it's a therapist or a coach or some sort of mentor is supporting your journey, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I recommend that for everybody, myself included. Like if you can have somebody who is a guide for you, somebody who supports you in your healing process, 100% on board with that. Um, you want to really be focused on healing your past, no matter where you are in whatever, if, if you're already in a relationship, your focus should be on healing anything that is still blocking you or standing in your way in your life. Anything that is like unresolved shit, like, you know, it's, it's in your best interest to be always open to healing and open to the new things that you can learn. And that's a good sign that someone is ready to be in a relationship. I am open to changing my beliefs. I'm open to, you know, what I can learn that's new, what will heal the past. I'm open to letting go of my victim story. You know, that story I tell where I'm the perfect angel and it was the people that I was dealing with that were so horrible to me, that useless story that, that stunts my growth that a lot of us have, that I myself had for a long time. Number four, the expectations are real exist realistic or non-existent. So I don't even know if I should leave realistic in there. It's just non-existent expectation. And I think I talked about this last week or recently, this expectation that someone owes it to us. You know, like your, your preferences are okay. Like, fine, you have your preferences. You have those little external things that you'd like to have in somebody you want to be in a relationship with. But when we have this expectation that another person checks all the boxes, like that is such self-sabotage to have this insistence that someone just, you know, every single preference that I want, they need to fit into. They need to be what it is I want them to be for me. But this, you know, a willingness to go in with a clean slate and just focus on what is working you know, just go when it comes to going on these dates and, you know, meeting these blind dates, whether it be digitally or face to face or whatever, like if I'm willing to just focus on what works, you know, if he's a nice guy, nice girl, they're pleasant enough to talk to. And I just focus on that and just be in the moment. It doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't have to mean that I'm going to be with that person forever. Or this is the person I'm choosing. This is what I got stuck with. Uh, this person, you know, if they don't look good enough for me, then someone must think I'm ugly because they matched us. It's not about any of that stuff. It's just about focusing on what works and what is good because you're practicing for being in a relationship. Relationship is not sustainable if you can't continually choose what is good. <laughs> if you can't keep looking for what works, if you can't keep focusing on what works and growing that, and you're always in a story of what doesn't work and you're always in resistance, that's going to kill your relationship. So when you're in those early dating stages, it's always in our best interest to really be looking at what works and ignoring the things that don't work. Now, that's not to say if you get an obvious red flag or somebody does something that's, that's you know obviously hurtful, that you shouldn't take care of yourself and be willing to step away. But there's a difference between that and meeting somebody and judging them on their shoes and then turning that into judging them on their, you know, their thoughts about whatever, and then turning that into something else and then making a story out of, you know, every move that they make and then turning it into, oh, it just absolutely wouldn't work without paying any attention to things that might work. Now, 
that's, you know, I don't, don't want you to go back into like the attachment thing where it's like, you're trying to make it work. It's just focus on what is working, focus on what is working, grow that. And if you're meant to, to work out together, then that's exactly what will happen. If you're not compatible, that will naturally unfold itself as well. You don't, and you won't end up having to have all these uncomfortable uh, you know, bad communications and ghosting and all of that stuff doesn't need to happen because if we're just willing to be authentic and natural, all that stuff takes care of itself. You just got to trust me on that. Number five focus is on what my client wants to create in a relationship and how they can be a co-creator with another person rather than focusing strictly on what a match will offer them. So that's another way I know somebody's ready for a relationship. They want to co-create. They want to collaborate. They want to do this thing together, this thing called life and love and relationships. They want to do it with you or with someone, with their partner. It's not about, oh, he better have this or that and this and that, or she better have, you know, my long list. Because somebody who's in that state, they're focusing on their own list is not somebody who's ready for a relationship. They're not ready for a partnership. They want someone to serve them which that does happen in a partnership, but not if you're looking for it. Number six, genuine enthusiasm about each opportunity to match and meet someone new. So ready clients and people who are ready for a relationship, actually ready, don't mind dating. And I know people out there are going to be like, no, fuck you, Candace. That's not true. Cause I hate dating. Cause I want to be in a relationship. No, 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 no. My sweet love. Because the thing about dating, the whole vetting process and the getting to know people and the the being able to go with the tides, the being able to focus on the positive and make it good and make it fun, that's practice for partnership. You're practicing. And just because that person that you might currently be practicing with is not the long-term person, you know, you might just be sitting at dinner with them. Just because they may not be it, you may not see them as the ultimate person, doesn't mean that they're any less practice than somebody who you really want to be it, that you find yourself really attracted to. And even when you're in a relationship, you're still practicing, honey. We're all practicing these relationships and they're all meant to grow us, change, change us, shift us, you know, cause different things in our lives. Some will be a lifetime. Some will be, you know, a reason or a season like that old saying. But if you're not willing to even, you know, practice, then don't think for a second that you're going to really be able to be in a partnership in a long-term way or that you're, you're, that that's really deep down what you want may not be deep down what you want, but if you do, here are the rest of the readiness things. I'm running out of time already. I hate how quickly this goes by. So number six, genuine enthusiasm about each opportunity to to match and meet someone new. I think I did. I already give that one. Yes. Like being in practice, being happy to do it. Number seven, they reserve attachment and stay on their dating journey until one stands above the crowd and is requesting their exclusivity. So this is more for women than men, I think, but, um, you know, not to be too binary about it, but I think it's, it's more, uh, women tend to be looking for the what's next, what are we doing, the certainty, the answers, you know, the wanting to know. And I always advise, and men tend to be good at this, to just date until they're like, oh, you know, she stands out, let me lock her down. And I think if, as women, if we approach dating and um, meeting people in the same way, where it's like, we continue to date, just date. And that doesn't mean you have to sleep with everybody. Doesn't mean you got to be out there hoeing if that's not what you want to do. And if you want to be out there hoeing, be out there hoeing. But however you do it, that's authentic for you. It's just the willingness to go ahead and do the process, be in it, focus on it, have fun with it, use it as practice and don't stop 
if you really want a relationship until that's what you get, you got to be unstoppable around it until you're sitting down and having a conversation that's about exclusivity between you and you're not manipulating him into it. He's not manipulating you. It's a mutual conversation where one has requested it from the other and the other is on board until you have that. It is in your best interest to be dating and be meeting people, whatever is true for you as far as you know the process for how you do that. Number eight, my clients are unstoppable. I love that word, unstoppable. They're open to travel a reasonable distance. They're willing to clear a schedule. They're clear and open about their availability. Like they're raring to go. They don't care about all the logistics and the minutia. They don't get mired in all of that stuff. It's like, I want to meet somebody. I want to have fun. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do to do that. And yeah, I mean, I don't even know what else to say about that. Like if I'm ready, I'm ready. If I'm like, I want to overflow into somebody, I want to get to know somebody great, have them come into my life, then I'm going to do what I need to do and make it a priority. Number nine, they make it a priority and go all the way. They've invested money and they know it's not worth it unless they're going to invest their time and and their attention into it. And sometimes that shows up as just like resistance. So, you know, just resisting the process, putting up scheduling blocks, you know, pretending that it's because I work so much. And the reason I say pretending is because especially busy, powerful people who, people who make enough money who, who can invest in matchmaking are powerful enough that they can switch their life around for the things that they want. And adults in general, you know, when we want something, your average human being, especially Americans, but your average human being, when we want something um, and really want it and believe that it's ours to have and are ready for it, we'll move heaven and earth. We do what we have to do. You know, we go where we have to go. If somebody who is sitting at home because they have zero gas in their car and, you know, it's broken down or whatever, and someone else says, well, if you can get across town in, you know, 20 minutes, there's going to be $10 million waiting for you. What do you want to bet that that person who is sitting at home and five minutes ago couldn't go anywhere because their car was broken down is not going to figure out a way to get across town. So we do what we, what we want to do and what we feel like is going to be most valuable to us. And if, if someone really feels like they're ready for a relationship, it's going to be most valuable to them. They're going to do what they need to do to make it happen. And number 10, they take 100% responsibility for their own good time. So, you know, when someone's really ready for a relationship, they commit to generating fun, sensuality, kindness, or any other energy that they want to experience, not that they want to demand from the other person. They, They just generate it. Like, I know every date I go on that I am going to bring my most positive, most fun self. If I'm feeling like I can't do that, then maybe I need to reschedule the date, but you know, in making partnership a priority, I know that I want to show up as a contribution, a contribution to that person and allow them to be a contribution to me. And by contribution, I mean, um, just showing up, willing to just generate the, the best of me as for as much as I can, every time I can always doing my best with it. And that's a nod to the four agreements. Those of you who know the four agreements. So, yeah, And in the article, I say often the way we approach our dating process is the same way we would approach a relationship. And I was just talking about that earlier. Your love life is your love life. And the way you're showing up in it as a single person is exactly what you'll be doing in a partnership. We think that, you know, oh, the partnership is going to be the thing that has me, 
you know, happy and, and I can stop doing all the things that I'm doing, but no, it doesn't work like that. All the things that we're doing are generally the things that are keeping us single when we don't want to be single. And, you know, it's a willingness to understand that if I want my love life to be great, I have to show up as greatness in my love life. So if you guys want to talk about this more, if you have any questions about these, if you have other ideas of what you think, what you recognize as readiness, and you want to share them with me, you can email me at askforcandypodcast at gmail.com. And we can keep this conversation going. You know, I can talk about this stuff endlessly. I am committed to having you win this love game. If you are listening to this podcast, I want you to win in love. And by that token, I also um, am taking uh, recruits to be candidates, to match with my clients and to get into our network for free. You can get into our network for free and be matched with all the matchmakers clients. If you are interested in this video dating thing, if you're interested in being matched and letting someone match for you and you know get to know you and have a profound understanding of you so that they can then uh, bring you people who are who are compatible with who you are, if you're interested in doing that, then you have to reach out to me, askforcandypodcast at gmail.com. Um, I also post my recruitment link all around so you can just go to the page and sign up and register. And all you have to be is single and open to being screened to, to go out on a blind date. Um, you know, or you could be long-term separated. You know your relationship is over. I don't necessarily recommend not having completion in the relationship, but you know, if you feel like you're emotionally complete with the relationship and in a good place, then definitely sign up. And then also I have the Epic Circle, which is every Monday, which is free. It's an online healing circle for women everywhere. Every Monday night, we come together as a community. We cause personal transformation when it comes to communication, forgiveness, self-love, mother-daughter relationships, purpose, friendships, just all the tools we need to be as big as we were meant to be. Last week, we started with a conversation about sisterhood and what it really means at home and in the world. Next week, we're going to be talking about, um, we did an exercise this last week. Actually, we not sisterhood. We did who I am last week. And we did an exercise about um, learning our patterns, like our past relationship patterns so that we can heal them and turn them around. Like what are these self-sabotaging patterns that we repeat, whether it's that I'm controlling or that I don't think I'm enough. So I'm always trying to prove myself, all the stuff that gets in the way we were working on. And this week coming up, we're going to be, you know, what do I do about those patterns? How do I turn them around? How do I heal them? How do I release them? How do I focus on creating something new? Follow me on Instagram at Ask for Candy Podcast, at Candy Love Coach. And shout out to the Ask for Candy Podcast group on Armed Radio. Join the group. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Next week, I'll be talking to, sitting down with licensed family and relationship therapist, Jalisha Gatling. And we're talking about financial trauma impacting your relationships, financial trauma, what it is and how to heal it, financial infidelity, what is it to you, which I think that's going to be interesting, and talking money with your honey. Why is it so hard? Why is the money conversation so difficult to have in our relationships? I don't know about you, but I have been in at least one or two relationships where the money conversation was definitely a huge challenge. And so that's it, people. Wow, this time goes by so fast. Until next time, I want you to never forget that you are a love machine. If you ever start to feel like you aren't getting the love that you need, just make more and then ask for candy. I love you so much, you guys. Thank you for listening in. If you stayed for the whole show, I I really appreciate that. You must love my voice.
That means I'm just going to keep making more podcasts, keep talking for you, because, you know, I love you too. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. I love you so much. And don't forget to ask for candy. Bye now. Bye. Hey.